What's up, y'all? We are back again with another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking NBA Finals, recapping this past weekend's Open Championship, also going to get into a little bit of Major League Baseball and the upcoming Olympics. Episode 48 coming at you right now. Thank you for tuning in once again to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. It's Monday, which means we are back. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. P, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm, I'm feeling refreshed after uh, a nice Sunday. It was fun watching the Open Championship. I realized that I really like the golf tournament being on England time because the final group starts at like 11 a.m. rather than whatever, 2 p.m. It kind of sets up for a really nice day. I realized I kind of love the extremes with golf because not that long ago when the U.S. Open was at Torrey Pines, I also loved it finishing in primetime on Sunday. So that was cool. And then British time is also really cool. I just don't like the the kind of middle ground, you know? Yeah, I'm with you there. I just like, you know, you wake up at nine. I guess you get up at 630 because you're insane. (laughs) Wake up at nine, have your cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden, like the final group is on and you got kind of a full day of, of entertainment. Yeah, it's a great time. I always wondered what it would be like to be a college football fan on the West Coast and wake up and have games on at nine. And that's kind of what that felt like. Yeah. No, I get that. It was kind of cool. Yeah. On a a more personal golf note, I played this weekend at uh, Alfred Tupp. Have you ever played there? I've never even heard of Alfred Tupp. Alfred Tupp Holmes. It's over in East Point. It was not the best maintained course I've ever played, but got out there with Andy, Mac, and Tanetti and just had a horrendous day on the links. Yeah, it's tough. I, I was out there not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before or maybe it was Sunday. Anyways, absolutely hacked it up. And I just decided I need a break for a little bit. It's, it's just the worst sport because you get on a little bit of a roll and you play well and you're like, Oh, it's only, it's only going to get better from here. And then you just go out there and you suck. And it's like, I'd, I'd never want to play again. So that's where I am right now. Exactly. And I think I kind of joined you on that boat. And I told you a couple weeks ago, as you know, I've been taking lessons. We played that golf tournament for Mac's birthday. I played a lot better than I normally do. So I felt encouraged. And so when I asked you to play this past week, and I was disappointed when you said you were taking the week off, but now I think I need at least a week off. Yes. It was a disaster. I need a few weeks off. I need to mentally regroup and physically too. It's just, it's a grind of a sport. It absolutely is. All right. Well, let's get into some sports talk. You want to start with the NBA finals? Let's talk about NBA finals. We had the Bucks win their third consecutive game the other night in game five and take it on the road in Phoenix to go up three to two. What'd you see there? Well, I was certainly wrong about this one. You know, after the Suns won the first two games, I was like, we talked about how whenever a team loses the first two and then comes home, it's just a lock. They're going to win game three. And then they pulled out game four, two. Everyone's like, okay, we feel the series and the momentum swinging back the Bucks way. And I was like, no, I'm sniffing this one out. I think that these teams are really evenly matched. I'm just taking the home team until they lose. And then the Bucks finally broke through. I mean, people were saying that if a road team was going to win a game this series, they really needed the role players to step up. And honestly, that didn't really even happen. The Bucks nope. just had their big three go off. Yeah, Pat Connaughton played really well. He was their fourth leading scorer with, I think, 14. He hit four threes. 
but mostly like you said, it was the big three. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis just went nuts for the Bucks, and all three had phenomenal games. I know that he didn't score the most points, but I thought that Drew Holiday was the best player on the floor in game five. He was just incredible defensively and just making plays all over the place, even that don't count in the stat sheet on top of having 27 points and 13 assists, I believe. So fantastic game by Drew Holiday and really all three of the big three for the Bucks. Right. Yeah. Giannis had 32. Middleton had 29. Drew Holiday had 27 points and 13 assists on top of playing incredible defense on Chris Paul. I mean, you look at Chris Paul's entire Hall of Fame career in the regular season and the playoffs, and I don't ever remember someone giving him fits quite like Drew Holiday has. So if the Bucks are able to finish this, I think Giannis is a hands down finals MVP, but you can't understate Drew Holiday's impact on this team and on this finals. And, you know, you look back at that trade they made for him, they gave up a lot, but it's going to be worth it. I mean, he could be the difference from them having a second round exit last year to win in the finals this year. Yeah, huge trade. He, like you said, played great defense on Chris Paul, but even for a little bit when P.J. Tucker went out, he played great defense on Devin Booker. He's just, he is a monster, really good player, great dude too. And then we also need to throw in Chris Middleton because he's made some clutch shots. He's the best shooter on their team. And so at the end of games, when Giannis, you don't really trust him with the ball in his hands at times, unless he's going to the basket or in transition, Chris Middleton hits some clutch shots. I think I saw something about how he and LeBron maybe right now are tied for the most shots in the fourth quarter to take the lead or yeah, to tie or take the lead um, in any single playoffs. It's like he and LeBron have the most. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like this playoffs, Chris Middleton has hit a lot of clutch jumpers. Yeah, I mean, he's so solid on both ends of the floor. So again, he's part of that big three. Obviously, you can't understate him either. But yeah, Drew Holiday, I'm just happy for him for this performance because they kind of overcame him in game four. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. he contributed good defense, but he shot four for 20 in game four. Like they won in spite of that effort. So happy that he came back and did this in game five. That was absolutely huge for them. And that was kind of an iconic play there at the end where they kind of blew the lead. The Suns had the ball with a chance to go and win it with like, what, 13 seconds left? I think he stole the ball from Devin Booker on that drive and then probably should have just kind of pulled the ball out and waited to get fouled because, I mean, he's a guy who's going to make both free throws. But that oop to Giannis and the way Giannis finished that and stared right into the camera, that was sick. It was the the foul, the way he kind of like let go of the rim and had a cool little landing and then stared. Yeah, that was a sick play. We've had two iconic plays in back-to-back games with the Giannis block and then the steal and alley-oop. It's been, a, it's been a great finals. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I felt bad for Chris Paul on that foul because that kind of sealed the game. Like, he had the right idea. If you can get a good foul off on Giannis and send him to the line right after he missed a couple free throws, I mean, it's very well documented. He has not been shooting free throws very well at all this playoff. So it was the right idea, but he was about four feet <laughs> too low to be able to effectively <laughs> commit that foul. Yeah, it was tough. It's, it's hard for the Suns when you look at the box score of this game to accept defeat like they shot I think 13 for 19 from three they only missed one free throw they were at home and still lost that's a tough pill to swallow yeah I think I saw a stat that they shot what 55 percent from the field 65 percent from three and 90 percent from the free throw line and lost at home yeah yikes so clearly they're just not playing very good defense at all pretty sure the stat that i read was this the bucks scored 43 in the second quarter and 36 in the third like you just can't do that so it's weird in the nba these days and i like i like to point this out people for the longest time have talked about the lack of defense or a lot of a lot of times they talk about the lack of defensive effort in the nba but clearly this is the nba finals both of these teams are trying very hard to stop the other team the best they possibly can 
and both teams have a lot of really good defensive players. This is a prime example of how good offensively these guys in the NBA are these days, specifically how good they are with now the ability for everybody on the floor to shoot threes. It's just hard to stop. When you have two teams as good defensively as these two teams are, and the final score is, what was it, 123 to 119? That, right. That is that is absurd. These guys are just really good at offense. It's not a lack of defensive effort or a lack of defensive ability. It's just that they are really good at putting the ball in the basket. Yeah, it's a lot like what we talked about recently with college football. The defense isn't getting worse. The offense is just adding more wrinkles yes. and getting even better. But yeah, before we move on from the finals, I just want to say kind of coming into this finals, the storyline was Giannis versus Chris Paul, right? Like both of these guys or one of them was going to get their first ring, which is just absolutely huge. I mean, it's kind of the the cherry on top or would be for Chris Paul's Hall of Fame career. And it's Giannis, you know, he has all these regular season accolades. He just needs kind of the, the playoff resume to start building that. And so I've got a stat for you. Giannis is the fifth player ever to win both an MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year award. All four of the other guys who have done that have also won at least one title. Do you know who they are? First one that comes to mind is Hakeem Olajuwon. There you go. Got to be one. Hmm. David Robinson? Yep. The Admiral. The Admiral. One of my favorite players ever, too. David Robinson was a stud. Yeah. People, especially our age, kind of overlook him and that whole Spurs dynasty at the beginning. Like, him and Tim Duncan is so unfair. Yes. Well, do you remember what happened? How that, how that came to be? The Twin Towers? No. Yeah. So, David Robinson was already an NBA MVP. I'm also stalling a little bit thinking, but he was an NBA MVP, got hurt one year, missed basically the whole season. So they had a good team, but he was just out for the year. So they got the number one pick, got Tim Duncan, and then just had Tim Duncan and David Robinson. That'll work. That's how dynasties form. That's how they form. And they won a championship like maybe the next year, 99, I think. There you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. So you're two for two so far on these four. You've got David Robinson and Hakeem Olajuwon. Who are the other two? Did Michael Jordan win defensive player of the year? He did. Okay. Which is crazy because when you add Giannis in here, so it's four big guys and Michael Jordan, because you think of defensive player of the year and usually it's somebody who's going to get a lot of blocks. So it tends Mm -hmm. to be a big guy that just speaks to Michael Jordan, of course, just being randomly in this stat. Well, even without the MVP, it's very rare for a non-big guy to win defensive player of the year. It's hard enough by itself. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the fourth one. What what decade? 2000s. I was surprised by this. I did not know that this guy won an MVP, I don't think. Mm, go ahead and hit me with it. Kevin Garnett. Okay. That yeah, that. He won MVP with the Timberwolves, I think, in 2004. And I'm not sure when he won Defensive Player of the Year, if it was with the Wolves or the Celtics. But yeah. I'm surprised the T-Wolves ever had a good enough record for him to win MVP when he was on their team. That's why I was shocked by yeah. it. Yeah. And, and when he was on the Celtics, I mean, they were just too well-rounded for him to have won one. So, yeah, I don't know. He was a monster. He was he's one of those weird guys that was one of my favorite players with one team and then became not as much of a favorite player with another team. You know? Yes, I remember you had the Kevin Garnett Timberwolves basketball I did, I did. <laughs> in your room. But then he got traded to the Celtics and then he had beef with LeBron. LeBron's your boy. You're literally wearing your witness shirt right now. Yeah, so, I am. Yeah, he was uh, no longer your boy at that yeah, point. Yeah, but, but T-Wolves KG was easy to root for. He Love was the man. Guy. Yeah, he was, he was super cool. For sure. But yeah, so if um, if Giannis can win the title this year, then everybody who's ever won both an MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year award has now won a title, which makes a lot of sense because that means those guys are pretty freaking good. It does. And just to, to cap it off, just think about Giannis's career achievements at the age of 26 if the Bucks win this series. He will have been an NBA Finals champion, NBA Finals MVP, two-time regular season MVP, two-time All-Star Game MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, first team all defense, first team 
wait, first team all NBA and first team all defense. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And it makes me sad because a week ago we were talking about uh, Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we said, this being the cherry on top of his career. And he's most likely at this point going to fall short again. But Giannis, those accolades are something special. Can't write them off. Are you, are you going Bucks and six? I think so at this point. I mean, I'm kind of in a pretzel, honestly. I really thought I had this series figured out. I, I money-lined the Bucks in games three and four just because I thought they were going to win both at home. Then I got real confident and was like, Suns are going to win at home too. And so now I'm really thrown off and don't know where to go. But yes, I think that the Bucks close it out in six. Okay. One of these teams is due for just a complete dud of a shooting game. And it could happen at any time. And it's kind of unpredictable. So I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. I guess I'm going to go Bucks in six too, but I'm not confident in that at all. The Bucks are just more like, they have a better defense against a bad shooting game because if they are shooting bad, they just throw the ball inside Giannis and let him get fouled. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. they just, they have better options to kind of avoid that. But no, I get your point. I'm with you. It hasn't happened yet. Deal. Well, tomorrow night, Tuesday night at nine o'clock, we'll see what happens. Should be fun. All right, let's move on to some golf. So the Open Championship was this weekend. Colin Morikawa wins it at minus 15 after shooting a four under 66 on Sunday. He's 24 years old. This is his second major. What'd you see here? I saw Colin Morikawa as the man. So if you watched the round yesterday, the most impressive thing was the back nine. He just had a few par saves that were completely absurd. After either his drive or his approach shot, you're like, there's no way he's getting this up and in for par and he did it every single time and he never seems phased by the pressure he never has in his career he just seems so cool calm and collected at all times and um and it's kind of crazy just like how effortlessly he seems to do it that win yesterday makes him the first professional golfer ever to win two different majors in his first try he won his first ever pga start last year and won his first ever open championship start this year that's pretty sick. Nothing to it. Yeah. When I played at Alfred Tup for my first time on Saturday, it didn't go as well. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy's pretty incredible. And for him being that young, I just hope that we don't do this whole, like he's the next tiger thing, like we did with Rory and then Jordan Spieth. I just don't want it to get in his head. Yeah, I just, for sure. I want him to, you know, keep playing well. But speaking of Jordan Spieth, I mean, Morikawa had Spieth breathing down his neck momentarily with like six or seven holes left yesterday. Uh, he pulled within one stroke, but like you said, Morikawa, he was just kind of unflappable down the stretch like he only made a couple mistakes on approach shots hit him into thick rough but then he just made the up and down look so routine Mm -hmm. like just hit it cleanly out of there onto the green and just the the way he was just sinking nine or ten foot putts like it was nothing i mean it's unbelievable so it was fun to watch yeah with his little saw grip how do you like the saw grip you gonna give that a try i did not know that's what it's called that's where you do like the creepy hand yeah kind of a creepy hand so he does raccoon inverted guy i have no idea how raccoons got involved but oh well they were living in my attic for a few years so i'm, I'm very familiar with the inverted hands let's <laughs> okay. move on from that though. all right all right yeah so anyways when he's in close range i don't know exactly how he determines how close is close but he does a little saw grip when he's further away he does traditional putting grip and it's working really well for him so two different putting grips depending on distance i did not know that yeah it's pretty cool um you mentioned jordan spieth i do want to to talk about him for a second even though he didn't get get the victory he did get a solo second place finish and i've just had a blast this season watching him be back in the mix consistently he really lost the tournament on 17 and 18 on saturday he, he was bogeyed 17 from the middle of the fairway which was bad enough and then he had a 15 foot birdie putt on 18 and ended up three putting for bogey he missed a, a two footer for par and that's really where his tournament unfortunately kind of came crumbling down Aside from that, he would have had a great shot to win on Sunday. But regardless, he's been back. He's been one of the more consistent golfers on tour this entire season. He's been 
in the mix and in contention a whole lot. And I hope he gets back on the uh, on the podium soon. I'm with you there. Golf is always more fun these days when Jordan Spieth is in the mix. Like you said, that bogey bogey finish on Saturday kind of did him in. He just had too big of a hill to climb on Sunday. Couldn't quite get it done, but his name will be around for a while. And so will Colin Morikawa's. So yeah, golf is in good shape right now. And before we move on from the open, we at least have to mention Louis Oosthuizen. and feel bad for him. He set a record on uh, Thursday, Friday, the first two rounds, he was 11 under, which I don't think anyone had ever done that well there. And he just, he can't seem to quite get it done. I don't, I don't know if it's a mental thing at this point, but Shrek is a likable guy. Just can't quite get over the hump. He is a likable guy. He's easy to root for. His nickname Shrek. I love that guy. He also has a beautiful swing. I was he paying does. attention to it because dad texted us about it. Right. It was, it's a beautiful swing. It's something that I'd like my swing to look like. He's a monster. Someday. Someday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> lessons. Keep taking, keep taking the lessons. Yeah. We'll get there. We will. All right. You want to talk major league baseball? Let's do it. What you got there? So we had the All-Star game this past weekend. You picked Trey Mancini to win the home run derby. Came pretty close. I had Matt Olson. He got screwed with his first round matchup. But anyway, very entertaining home run derby. What'd you think? It was a lot of fun. I had a great time rooting for Trey Mancini after picking him, given his whole background story. But I forgot after after uh, he started his first round, I forgot how awesome Pete Alonso is at the home run derby. Oh, he's from, amazing. From two years ago. It's yeah, a combination. What, 32? 35? I think it's 35 in the first round. It's absurd. It's a combination of two things, right? It's one, that he has massive power. He's incredibly strong. And so in this format, when you're just repeatedly swinging as much as you can for three or four minutes, whatever it is, he can swing at 60% and still hit bombs. So he doesn't get tired where other guys do get tired. And then secondly, he has more motivation than anybody else because he doesn't get paid anything by the Mets. And so he makes more money every year from winning the home run derby than he does from playing baseball. So he's going out there to kill people. Yeah, I texted you in doubt about that. And I, I think it's amazing that they started doing a million dollar prize for the home run derby because I mean, why not make these guys really care about it? Joey, or uh, not Joey Gallo, get to him in a second. But uh, Pete Alonso is on a $677,000 contract and he won a million dollars alone off the home run derby in one night so they didn't have a home run derby last year but he's been playing in the major leagues for three years and he's made more money off of two home run derbies than three years of major league baseball yeah that's amazing that's I mean, unbelievable the, the way that major league baseball just like suppresses these guys salaries until they're 30 even if they're one of the best players in baseball i don't blame them for going out there and trying to win the derby giving it all they got he's 26 i can't believe he hadn't gotten he just they have to wait so long to get paid it's absurd. I mean, they've started to break that mold a little bit with some of these young guys, like Acuna got $100 million over eight years. Everyone immediately called that a bargain for the Braves. And then after Tatis signed the 13-year, $330 million deal, like, I don't know why more of these guys aren't getting paid early. I don't understand. I mean, it. if you're the Mets right now, so it looks like the, the whole arbitration deal is really hard to figure out, but it looks like to me, and I'm looking up really quickly, that he's eligible for arbitration after this season. So if you're the Mets, why are they not locking him up long-term yet? Has he not proven that he's valuable? I don't know, but like even when you're eligible for arbitration, I don't think other teams can sign you, so I don't think they're at risk of losing him. So yeah, yes, they can lock him up long-term. They're not at risk of losing him, but they're at risk of pissing him off and him leaving when he's eligible to, right? Fair enough, but I'm not even going to pretend I understand all of the rules of baseball. It's insane. Yeah, it doesn't make any... What is he doing right now, this season? So, like, he is... He's good. He's on my squad. He's a melon head. 17, 17 bombs, 49 ribs, OBP of 335, OPS of 812. I mean, good enough. 
yeah, he, he's pretty solid. So look out for him. I mean, I'm sure he'll be back in the Derby next year, even if he does get paid, because it's just kind of an automatic one night million dollar check. Could we have, could he be like the Joey Chestnut of the home run Derby? He very well could. That be. would be elite. I would love that. <laughs> I'm sure he really, really wants that nickname. That probably means more to him than the uh, million dollars. Has anyone ever won more than two home run derbies? I don't know. Do you want to figure it out? Yeah. Well, while you look that up, I wanted to mention the trade deadline is 11 days away. There are some big names kind of floating around out there. I saw that the Mets are reportedly looking to make a big splash. They just had Jacob deGrom go back on the IL with some forearm tightness. Also had their prize of the offseason, Francisco Lindor, hit the IL with an oblique strain. So there are rumors about them going after Chris Bryant and Jose Barrios. Um, I also saw that the Marlins are kind of floating Starling Marte's name out there after they hit a snag in contract negotiations with him. Sounds like the Yankees are interested. And then two big names. I just mentioned one, Joey Gallo, the Rangers outfielder, and also uh, Trevor Story, shortstop for the Rockies. They could go to contenders. I mean, they were in the home run derby for a reason because those guys can hit dingers and help contenders win. So keep an eye out there. Yeah, the interesting part to me every year about the trade deadline, I don't want to get into specific names, but the overall biggest thing is just, it's so interesting to me who decides to be a buyer and a seller. Like the Braves, for example, the minute that Acuna went down, Soroka's already down, you know, Ozuna's out because he's a criminal, but I just thought the Braves were going to start selling off people and then we immediately go and trade for Jock Peterson and then get Steven Vogt as a, a catcher. Like, it's just so intriguing when teams think they can and can't contend. I don't know why some teams think they can and others, I mean, they seem delusional sometimes, but yeah, looking forward to seeing what teams decide they're going to do for the long run and for the season in the very near future. Yeah, the Braves are definitely an interesting one. I was reading an article earlier today about the trade deadline and it was kind of saying um, for all 32 teams, you know, will this team be a buyer or a seller? And for the Braves, it said both. It's like, I just don't really understand why that should ever be the case. But yeah, it seems like they think that with some of the Mets injuries that they're a little bit vulnerable and the division's up for grabs. So I think that, you know, multiple teams in the East, including the Braves and Nationals might be buyers along with the Mets. Maybe so. I also have a uh, an answer to my question. Ken Griffey Jr. is the only person ever to win three times. Really? Yep. What years? Um, 98 and 99 were two of them because he was the first one ever to go back to back. And then I don't know what the third year was. Dude, those late 90s home run derbies were probably pretty electric. Like, didn't Mark McGuire do one at Wrigley and he was like bombing him out of the stadium? I remember Mark McGuire doing one at Fenway and was bombing him out of the stadium. I those guys that. were so juiced up. They were huge. A juiced they were up huge. late 90s home run derby sounds electric. It, it does. So Ken Griffey Jr. won in 94, 98, 99. Dude, those guys were roided out of their minds. Mark, McGu- Mark McGuire's forearms were as, as big as my head when he was hitting those bombs. Yeah, you're not wrong. Goodness gracious. All right. (laughs) All right. That's about all we got for baseball. Do you want to talk about some Olympics? Yeah. I mean, we got the Olympic opening ceremonies happening on Friday. I was just curious. I had a couple questions. Let's start off with this one. What are you most looking forward to, to watching in this upcoming Olympics? So I've got a couple things, but my number one, honestly, is always basketball. I just, I really enjoy it because we're kind of undisputedly the best (laughs) and we typically win gold. Um, But this year is especially interesting to me because I don't know if that's going to be the case. A lot of people started to worry about Team USA basketball after they dropped back-to-back exhibition games to Nigeria and Australia. Then Bradley Beal leaves the team with COVID. Then I saw today that Zach Levine is entering COVID protocol as well. Who is that? Zach Levine. Levine. (laughs) Levine. Yeah whatever, dude. Um, (laughs) He is out with COVID as well, but I am no longer worried. And I think you know why. 
Because JaVale McGee's in the house. JaVale, baby. <laughs> Let's go. JaVale McGee is the exact kind of injection of life and veteran presence <laughs> they need. After he led the Lakers to the championship last season, he's just, he's the veteran they need in that locker room. I feel like as soon as they see him just kind of flying around on defense, grabbing 20 rebounds a game, being a vocal kind of floor general out there, they're going to wake up a little bit, feel inspired, and just easily bring home the gold. I saw a meme with like this, this human that was made of puzzle pieces that was labeled USA Basketball, but there's just one missing piece, and then on the other side is just the piece labeled JaVale McGee. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all we need right there, baby. That, that's amazing. I mean, I, I think it's exactly what they need. They're, yeah. they're short on big men. They've got who? Bam out of bio and Kevin Love. No, Kevin Love's off the team. From COVID, COVID. Oh, really? So he had a, he had a lingering um, calf injury, I think, and he withdrew from the team. He's off the team. So it's JaVale McGee. He's the only big guy they got. Okay. Well, I think that's a good thing. I mean, JaVale is exactly what they need. But So that's the <laughs> one thing that I'm looking forward to. Uh, the second one is honestly women's gymnastics. So I heard on the radio this morning, um, some radio host was like, uh, there is a member of the U.S. women's gymnastics team that is out of the Olympics testing positive for COVID. It's like, don't float that and tease that yeah, out that's there. that's messed up. Just say it's not Simone Biles and no one's going to care, right? <laughs> that's all we need to know, that it's not her. Yeah, exactly. And it just, even though I immediately knew that it wasn't her, I was like, having that taken away from us for a second scared me and made me realize how excited I am to watch her because she is the GOAT. She is the GOAT. She is unstoppable. It's it's rare that you go into an event knowing that one person is simply just competing against themselves and that nobody can possibly touch them unless something goes horribly wrong. She's just head and shoulders above everybody else in the history of the sport and it's going to be sick to watch. Yeah, you mentioned recently about how she attempts things to where even if she messes up, her score is so high because of the degree of difficulty that mm-hmm. no one can compete. And like when I try to apply that to something else, like imagine if that was the dunk contest. Like somebody was just doing like triple front flips and just missing dunks <laughs> yeah. off the back of the rim, but because it's so insane and like, no one even can do the flips that they're just like, you win anyway. Exactly. <laughs> like it, it's just a crazy thing to think about. Is she pound for pound? the most athletic person in the world, aside from JaVale McGee. She has to be. <laughs> she has to be. What does she weigh? 85 pounds? 90 pounds? She's tiny. She's like 4'8". she's eight. like 4'9". Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's little. It's crazy. But she's a monster. Anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to. What about you? Well, to follow up on that real quick, there's been a lot of controversy on that recently, and I don't pretend to know the rules of gymnastics really well, but there's been a lot of like um, her in the media kind of ripping on whatever federation is responsible for docking her points because she's like so far ahead of everybody else like so typically if you try something that's way way harder then they bump it up so much that that you can score higher but they are limiting how much she can score because they don't want her to run so far away from everybody else it's kind of crazy like i don't know just read about it it's really interesting all you need to know is she's the goat and she's going to be fun to watch um to answer your question I'm looking forward to finding the heir appearance for the previous two goats, which are Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps. I want to know who the next, or I guess the current, world's fastest man is. And I also want to see who the next great American Olympic swimmer is. I was going to ask if we have a swimmer, because we just saw Katie Ledecky on the TV a minute ago. She's the dominant woman, so right? For, Do we for, have a dominant male swimmer? No, for women, she's she's obviously still the monster. She's going to crush everybody once again. But no, as far as I know, we don't have any males that are just going to be out there killing people. So we'll see if someone emerges i guess so and and your other point about the sprinter is mm-hmm. there anybody that like sticks out so for american men i know trayvon bromel is a really really good 
100 meter guy. And I think Noah Lyles is the 200 guy. That's just, okay. I'm not positive about those two names. Trayvon Bromel is a, is a Baylor guy, which, you know, Baylor is historically very, very good track school. Sick and bears. Sick and bears. Um, but we'll see. I know the Jamaicans obviously always have really fast 100, yeah. 200 guys. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So DK Metcalf didn't make it. DK Metcalf is fast, but he cannot hang with these guys. Not quite. Not quite. He's also 70 pounds heavier than them. Yeah. I think I'd take him in a fight. I would, yes. Yes. I would, I would like to tackle the other guys more. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So moving on from the Olympics, unless you have anything more. I just, I did have one more question. Just reminiscing on past Olympics. Just curious if any moments specifically in Olympic history have really stood out to you. Like what are your favorite Olympic moments ever? Just going down nostalgia lane right here. That's a good question. Off the top of my head, like the first things that come to mind are just Michael Phelps winning golds. Like what was that one relay? Yeah. I think it was him and uh, who was Ryan? It was the medley. What's so his name again? Him, Ryan Lochte. Lochte. Ryan Lochte. And um, um, Colin Jones is on that team. Just and then crazy comeback and then where Lezak. they barely won it. Lezak was the fourth leg who came back. Yep. And yeah. they're all just standing there like screaming yeah, like, before awesome. you really could tell who won. Yeah. That was amazing. Because that was Michael Phelps' quest for, I think, eight gold medals in a single Olympics. And that was the one that we were the least sure about. You remember Team USA was actually the underdog going into that race. I think it was either France. Was it France or Australia? I think it was France who was the favorite and told everybody in the media before the race that they were going to smash the Americans. And they were actually crushing us going into the last leg. And then Lezak pulled off the sick comeback. That's when Michael Phelps was like having 30 minute breaks in between events because he was swimming everything. Right. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. He, he was always insane to watch. That was a ton of fun. Sad he's gone. And then other than that, it's all just basketball. Like even though it's never super close, I just still enjoy seeing us win. And because it's just the best collection of talent in the world, like the redeem team, you know, the Olympics mm-hmm. after we didn't win gold and they came back and did win it. That was one of my, you know, more fun memories. But other than that, I don't know. What do you have? Yeah, lots of Michael Phelps moments. I was actually talking to patients today about opening ceremonies. And I do really enjoy opening ceremonies a lot of times because it's a big expression of like whatever the host country's culture is. And I just remember in 08, just being awestruck, like I think a lot of people were by the opening ceremonies at Beijing. It was just the most like grand scale, incredible choreography and like show you've ever seen. It was just really, really cool. So I'll I'll always remember the 08 Beijing opening ceremonies. And then, yeah, Usain Bolt just running faster than any human has ever run in the history of humanity is pretty cool to watch. And then like, I think when I was younger, I remember watching Michael Johnson running with his gold shoes, which was cool. Or like Carl Lewis jumping a thousand feet in the air. Because I think he still has the world record for long jump, but just kind of like the icons over the years, like the the greatest athletes in their respective sports ever. Yeah, I wish I could say one of mine was the Atlanta Olympics, but we weren't quite old enough for that. Do you remember any of that? All I remember is, didn't Muhammad Ali light the torch? He did. Yeah, that's the main memory that I have of the Atlanta Olympics. Yeah, you were seven, I was five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just funny because like, imagine that happening today, Atlanta host, hosting the Olympics. It just Wild. feels insane. It does feel insane. Like the entire world's eyes are on Atlanta. That's that's nuts. Yeah, it just doesn't even feel real. But it doesn't. Anyway, someday it'll happen. I'm looking forward to it. Anything else you got? Did you want to talk about some UFC for this upcoming weekend? Yeah, so just wanted to throw one fight out there that I'm really excited about. We have Corey Sandhagen against TJ Dillashaw and TJ's Dill- and TJ Dillashaw's return from a two-year suspension for roids. Sandhagen or Sandhagen? Sandhagen, the okay. Sandman. So he's currently one of like my top five favorite fighters. I love the Korean zombie. I love Corey Sandhagen. 
Who else do I love? I love Charles Oliveira. Those are kind of my, my three main guys right now. Sanhagen is a very normal looking white guy aside from massive back tats. And he is known for highlight reel finishes. And if he wins this fight, he will get the next shot at the belt. So let's go Corey Sanhagen. Okay. And he's more of like a hilt wet noodle guys, right? Like he's not, he's not a submission guy. He, so the last three fights, he submitted somebody in the, like three fights ago. And then the last two fights have been highlight reel knockouts. Okay. Was it one the flying knee that you showed me earlier? Flying knee against Frankie Edgar and like spinning wheel kick against Marlon Marias. It was just That's what we're trying to see. Absurd. Yes, it was awesome. Love that. So you'll love to see that. So that's the main event this Saturday. So go ahead and check it out. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for today. Deal. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews and we will catch you next Monday. Have a good day.